Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, Happy New Year to everyone that's listening to us from tomorrow onwards. Hooray, it's not 2020 anymore. It's another rubbish year. No, no. <laughs> well, at the moment, it's at the moment be, it is. It's, but it's the trajectory is upwards. With 2020, the trajectory was downwards. And that's that's not very good. I mean, unless you started off the year with a crippling eye infection. But uh, but it, it's fine because we're going to start off on a on a sinking low and then we're going to climb up to high, high heights. But we don't know when, but we'll we'll get there. We're doing podcasts as well. So that just partially mitigates the the, the sick sinking lows uh, of the early months of the year, and yes. and, I, and I'm just not having any more pessimism because I can't take it. No, it, it it's okay. I've acquired a puppy now, so I'm all about I'm all about the op- optimism. Right. I can I can do lockdown okay. now. Matt, how are you? Happy New Year! Not quite. We're recording this on New Year's Eve, but um, you may well be listening to it in the year 2021 from the future. We know that party, don't we? Hey? <laughs> this is it. Yeah. What are everyone's big plans for tonight? Sleeping. Mm. Mm. I was I was concerned when David said he's he's had enough of pessimism and he's talking to us. That that, that concerns me. Yeah. We need to be more optimistic. I've got enough optimism for the three of us. Don't you worry. It's fine. <laughs> He's He certainly does, folks. Big big plans for tonight, David? Yeah. Yeah, me and the kids. Yeah. They're going to stay up till 10. I'm going to stay up till 10.30. We're going to rock it. Yeah. For anybody uh, outside of the UK listening to this, we are, I mean, even if we were big time New Year's people, there would be nowhere for us to go and nothing for us to do because everything's closed. We're not allowed to see anyone. It's the New Year Scrooge's dream. Actually, this is the the first year of all my years that I don't have to justify or explain myself for not wanting to go clubbing on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Ironically, this is the one year I actually do want to go clubbing for the first <laughs> time in my life. I would give anything to go clubbing and I've literally never felt that way before, e- not even close to it. It'd be quite interesting to see what would happen if you could sort of exchange the two feelings with respective years so that they would align more helpfully. Oh, God, yeah. It? it would have helped me out of some really dire situations in the past. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. Oh, well. There's a podcast. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> New, uh, New Year's okay. past. New Year's relived. <laughs> it's um, it's well, actually, should we cover? Should we cover off our tiny wee morsels of of news before we get going with with agro? I know you're champing at the bit, David, yeah. for agro, and we will get there very soon because there's not an awful lot of news. What we've got is that. Andy Murray is now no longer playing the opening event of the year in Delray Beach. I think you could tell from our reactions when we reported that he he was down to play. We were we were pretty surprised by that. Um, so perhaps perhaps not so surprised that he's no longer down to play. We understand um, courtesy of Eleanor Crooks. Um, from PA that um, the the press association that is that it's not it's not a fitness related withdrawal. We don't know anything anything further. I assume it's something COVID and travel related, but it's not a fitness related. Yeah, he, he has actually put out some some quotes to that effect now, um, and uh, and just Breaking. said the uh, given the increase in COVID rates and the transatlantic flights involved, I want to minimise the risks ahead of the Australian Open. Um, which does tally with what Dan Evans told me a few days ago, and he pulled out uh, uh, earlier this week, and he was also going to go to Delray at one point, but he just said there's a, there's a there are rules about getting into Australia and getting into the Australian Open, which he felt that Delray Beach could potentially compromise. And, and if he were to pick up the virus there, he may have a real problem. And he felt that the chances of getting it there were, were, were that much higher. So on the balance of it all, he would stay in the UK, practice, get ready, and then fly out to Dubai on about the 15th of um, of, of uh, January. So, And I think that that's what Murray's going to do. And, and they are going to do one of these little practice bubbles between them. Yeah, as I understand it, there are there are three locations where Tennis Australia are laying on charter flights to into Melbourne. Um, one of them is certainly Dubai. I believe the US one is in LA. So to play Delray Beach, it wouldn't just be a matter of getting to Delray Beach and playing there. You'd then have a an internal US flight uh, ahead of you as well, which surely makes it even less of an enticing prospect. So. Um, that's that wee morsel of news. We've also um, got news that Ash Barty and Jennifer Brady are to play doubles together mm. at the Australian Open. Going to yeah. go? Does that reignited your Brady fire, David? It has, but I, I mean, to be honest, I say reignited. It's just been smouldering along ever since mm. the US You've Open. You've been thinking of her nonstop, and um, very. I, I I do hope that there's more of this though for the Australian Open. If we could, if we're moving the dates as they have, and it's going back three weeks, and everything is thrown up in the air the way it is, one nice little bonus would be if some doubles teams just emerged out of singles players that you wouldn't normally get and you could just just have an added extra to the tournament so and i think that that's already a a big one Mm. i can see the express online headline now david law fire for jennifer brady continues to smolder (laughs) yeah not stop thinking about her for three months (laughs) 
Um, final bit of news, very, very importantly, is that I, I put in a phone call shortly before recording to clarify with my dad whether Benoit Pair uh, was allowed on the boat. Um, and his answer, which he'd clearly given some thought, uh, was that he would be too unpredictable to be crew, um, but he would be very happy if Benoit Pair were waiting for him on shore for for a night out after docking. <laughs> yes, I'm very pleased he gave that answer because if he was on the boat, I don't think I understand the boat. Agreed. Agreed. I could hear in his voice that he really wanted he really wanted to sh- for Benoit Pair to show boat-worthy traits, but I you know, he he takes the boat very seriously and he you know, See, I'm getting from Matt there that uh, if Benoit Pair had been on the boat, Matt ain't on the boat. He ain't getting on. Does Matt want to be on That's the boat? That's the point. He ref- would refuse. <laughs> Benoit Pair does not fit the character profile of people who I know are boat crew members. That's no, all, absolutely That's all I'm saying not. there. As I say, he's not, he's not into flashiness, my dad. Mm, and scenes. Not into scenes, not into unpredictability, not into egos. Um, I can't quite remember the three descriptors, but definitely no ego was was one of the three defining character traits of uh, of someone boatworthy. So there we go, Benoit Pair, if you're listening. My dad continues to throw you bones and you have an open invitation to party on shore anytime. I kind of feel that might suit Benoit better anyway. I think he oh, might be totally. happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone's happy with that arrangement. He might turn down his wild card so that he can enter qualifying in the bar. <laughs> to play cards. Yeah. <laughs> right, aggro. <laughs> right then, aggro. It is time, folks, for really the crowning moment of, of 2020. We've made you wait 364 days for it. Um, but it is the top 10 greatest agro moments in tennis history. Now, this is not going to be an exhaustive list by any means. This is not scientific. This is this is us telling you what has made us smile the most. We've we've selected a definition of agro which which maybe might not be everybody's definition of agro, but we've we've avoided sort of sinister and unpleasant agro. I'm aware there's a lot of that and Maybe we'll cover that in a whole separate podcast, but we've selected sort of pantomime type aggro that is that has made us smile. Um, and that is that is the definition we've gone for. And it's our podcast. So if you don't like it, no one else is doing an aggro top 10. So <laughs> you just have to lump it. Um, this podcast part one will be numbers 10 through six. And you'll have to wait till till Monday till Till next year, in fact, for for the countdown for five to one. David is, I mean, he's actually sort of vibrating with excitement. <laughs> I, I think my first message to you both was about 7.30am today, wasn't it? I've done my prep. I'm ready. <laughs> when are we recording? <laughs> so without further ado, yeah. unless you have anything to add, David. No, I mean, I was you said just The think- words are just tumbling out of him. I, I was... I was- I did one of mine late, late last night um, and, and my, my son and my daughter came into the room just as I was sort of researching it and they just were suddenly wide-eyed about it and wanted to 
wanted to hear all about it. So uh, anyway, I won't give any more away about that. Um, but then this morning, yes, I was up at seven and finishing off the second one and knowing that I still got seven hours to go until I could actually talk about <laughs> them. Uh, so now's the moment. Brilliant. I'm going to have to wait, make you wait a little bit longer, David, because I'm going first okay. with number 10. And I'm going to take you back to 2014 and Dubai, uh, the quarterfinal between Serena Williams and Yelena Jankovic. Um, Serena is 6-2, 5-2 up on Yelena Jankovic. And Jankovic's love 40 down on her serve. Um, So she's facing three match points. It's been a bit of a drubbing up until this point. It's been a a tetchy match, um, but given how uncompetitive it was, there was no there was no specific aggro or or anything like that. But Jankovic had 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 her gripes with umpire Cardanuni, but nothing particularly specific. So she's love forty down. She saves two match points to get to thirty forty. She then gets irritated with umpire Cardanuni over over something unknown, frankly. And uh, this is this is a clip. Uh, of the coverage and watch out here for some splendid comic timing from the late great commentator David Mercer I don't know what that conversation was all about between umpire and Jankovic she's been unhappy about everything tonight it's <laughs> so good so like a a disappointed parent mm. um so <laughs> so poor david mercer is already already growing irritated and tired uh particularly with yelena yankovic she then proceeds yankovic to save the third match point and get it back to to juice then she heads to the baseline to serve at juice at which point serena coughs delaying yankovic's service motion by i would say less than a second (laughs) um yankovic doesn't like it and David Mercer doesn't like that Jankovic doesn't like it. Oh, now we've got gamesmanship going on. Williams held her up for a fraction. Jankovic doesn't like that. Oh, do shut up, Elena. Tries me insane. And Serena's not at all amused by that remark. Oh, come on, we don't need this. This is pathetic. (laughs) So the theme of of (laughs) irritated parent dealing with what my parents used to not so funnily call horseplay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, continues. In case you didn't catch that, after the cough... um, 
Jankovic turns her back on Serena, walks to the back of the court yelling, you can take more time, it's yours. Uh, Serena responds by saying, do you want to do this again, Yelena? Uh, Which is apparently referring to two almost identical incidents from the Family Circle Cup in the States the previous year and one in Rome going all the way back to 2010. I love how vivid and deep tennis players memories are um what's the family circle cup is that charleston yes it's what was charleston yeah um so Jankovic of course loses the match 6-2 6-2 in 56 minutes I mean it was never even remotely competitive um they have a long chat at the net which unfortunately isn't picked up by the mic Serena actually comes around to, to Jankovic's side of the net for it all the while during the coverage, and this is all available on YouTube, Annabelle Croft, uh, the interviewer, is lurking in the background. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, the clip cuts off before that interview takes place. So I've no I- no idea what was asked about. But Annabelle didn't look like she was particularly looking forward to um, to the interview. And the only disappointment for me in this and it's probably why it's only in at number 10 because it's really fantastically childish aggro um really pantomime and that's so wonderfully captured by david mercer's commentary it, the reason it's not better is because they kind of backed off from it when asked about it after the match they didn't sort of own it because there's clearly or at that stage, I don't know what they're like now. There was clearly no love lost. You know, these two weren't mates. There was there was a history there, and it clearly was personal. You know, Serena saying, "Do you want to do this again, Elena?" Um, unfortunately, Serena after the match said, "I told her at the end. Look, I didn't mean anything. I'm sorry if I played slow." She was like, "No, it was more like they say I play too fast and then too slow." She said she couldn't get it right. I was like, "Look, are we cool? Because I'm cool with you. I don't want them to be cool with one another." <laughs> no, they weren't really, Catherine. It's well, funny. exactly, but just say that it's fine not to be cool with one another. <laughs> That's like um, that's like when Kerber backed down from calling Andreescu oh. the biggest drama queen ever. Oh, why haven't we got that in? <laughs> because she backed down. Yeah, how did she back down again? Didn't she sort of say, "Oh, I meant it as a compliment"? She put something. out a corporate tweet saying, yeah. uh, "Congratulations on an excellent win. Good luck in the next round." <laughs> and then Curios oh. called her out on it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a very worthy honourable mention. Yeah, it really bothered me when I was researching this one that that I found those quotes from Serena after the match. I was really hoping to find some sort of Hingis like quotes. <laughs> it's so much fun. I mean, look, I, I I think I commentated on that match, or I've commentated on another Yankovic one with some aggro in it. I think it was. Did that Did you one, say though. the words pathetic? No. Shut I, up. I mean, look, David's commentary was way better than whatever I mustered at the time, um, but. It is very, very fun to commentate on moments like that. I mean, if it gets really unpleasant, obviously, you know, that's that's another matter and, and hence why things like that aren't really in our lineup. But just stay out of the way if ever you're commentating on one of those. Just let it go. Unless you've got a David Mercer line like that that's going to actually, actually elevate it as his did. Um, no, that's just fantastic. 
It's funny listening to that clip. It's as though the um, audience is hearing David Mercer's commentary because he says his lines and then suddenly there's a big applause from the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're saying what we're thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's in at 10. Um, In at 9, it's over to you, Matt. Yes. This one, I think, is kind of legendary on the WTA tour. And this is a match between Sara Rani and Elise Cornet in Toronto 2013, um, in which Rani would eventually win 7-5, 7-6. But the, the incident occurs a couple of hours in. And I think I might as well just play the clip here. So this is what, this is what happens two hours into their match. What's going on there? (laughs) So, in case that wasn't clear, that is Sara (laughs) Rani taking issue with Cornet saying Bamos instead of Ale as her way of exclaiming. What I love about this is, again, it's sort of wonderfully petty. And I, I almost sense that Irani was really annoyed by it, the whole match. It, was, it had been kind of building up, and then suddenly she just decided to have a go at Cornet about this. And I guess she's kind of got a point, right? I mean, why aren't you speaking your native language? It's almost, it is provocative. It is to trying to wind someone up. But I don't really get why Cornet is saying bamos given that Irani is Italian and Bamos is Spanish. It, it, none of it quite makes sense, which is why it's sort of so wonderful. <laughs> they're, they're both, in quite different ways, Irani and Cornet, they, they've both been on involved in their fair share of aggro, haven't they? I remember vividly um, a match between Elise Cornet and Tatiana Maria in the first round of the French Open four or five years ago. Um, when Elise Cornet had some treatment for what looked like cramp, but obviously she didn't declare that it was cramp because you're not allowed treatment for cramp. And Tatiana and Maria went nuts about it on the court. And then I was actually moderating her press conference afterwards and I was expecting Serena style her to back away from it. And she just laid into her. She said she was going to consult lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it was in an untranscribed room, so only the only the journalist that had actually attended that that press conference um, heard it. And obviously, none of that happened. It was all heat of the moment stuff. But she said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've already spoken to a lawyer. I'm going to see what I can do." It was it was immense. And of course, Irani. I mean, most recently we had Irani at, at the French Open this year, didn't we? With with Kiki Burton's, that was pretty immense. Yes, any any Irani section needs to we we need to tip our cap to that moment. What what happened there? I mean, that whole match was ridiculous. That was the match with I think Irani had seventy aborted ball tosses, maybe Ooh. even more. Several underarm serves, really dramatic, and basically Burton's was cramping the whole match all over her body, and it was it was actually a little bit distressing to watch because it did look like she was in a lot of pain. Arani didn't think so. Arani thought she was absolutely faking it. And the match, when the match concluded, Arani whacked the ball 
basically out of Roland Garros. <laughs> Did, didn't didn't do a racket tap, packed her bags and left the court swearing in in Italian, of course. She was she was swearing in her own language. Didn't she do a sort of physical impersonation? Yeah, she did. Yeah, that happened as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then she went into the press conference and definitely didn't back down. Definitely doubled down on Burton's... Oh yes, she said. It. Oh, I've just seen her eating. She yeah. didn't look like she was cramping. Yeah, she said. She said you saw her leave the court in a chair, and now she's eating and fine in the yeah, play. People area. with cramp don't eat. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. It does amuse me the way players just become absolutely paranoid about what their opponent is up to. Um, they can't possibly take it as, at face value at all if they're mm. if they're losing. Uh, I mean, Cornet is is known for it and I've spoken to one or two players that have played her I remember commentating with Anki Othavong and when Corne would start to do anything and would would make you you know that this is how she is this is this is to be expected mm. congratulations Anne on your MBE by the way, I don't yeah. know if she listens, but uh, Anki Othavong has been awarded an MBE in the New Year's Honours list. Yeah, so great congratulations news. to her. Yes. And just, just a final word on the Irani Cornet, why you say Bamos incident. Um, they then met again at Wimbledon a few years later, which I think was an aggro free match, disappointingly. But I did notice that Cornet on her Instagram the day before that match said, next up at Wimbledon, Hashtag why you say Bamos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sensational. Uh, yeah, I like it when they own it. Yeah, yes. lean into it. Yeah. Look at David with all his his newfangled expressions. I've been listening to lots of around the NFL podcast where they use expressions right. like lean into it. <laughs> right. I don't really know what it means, but that's all right. It's, it's coined by... Sheryl Sandberg, I think. I'm leaning into it anyway. Did she coin it or did she just borrow it? I think she coined it, didn't she? I haven't she? a clue, Catherine. Right. I think she, in my head, she coined it, but that could be a, a completely, <laughs> completely um, uh, you might recent, have that recentist idea. take. Yes. Shall we move on to number seven? Yeah. Yes. And this is... One of my absolute favourites. This is oh, yes. the 2015 Australian Open and Kim Sears, Thomas Burdick and Andy Murray. little saga involving them. Um, and actually the Australian Open account on YouTube has clipped this incident up, their official account, <laughs> and made a little video package of aggro out of it. And it's had uh, about 400,000 views on there. So they, they clearly recognise aggro being, quote-unquote, good for the sport. That is <laughs> top-notch content creation. Well done. Yes. Um, now, the background for this is that Danny Valverde, you know, Murray's longtime friend, coach, hitting partner, various roles within Murray's team, um, had left to become Thomas Burdick's main coach in November 2014. And then just a few months later, they're obviously meeting in this high stakes semi-final at the Australian Open. A match to decide who got to lose to Djokovic. (laughs) Those were the stakes. Yes, as basically any Australian Open Mm semi-final has been. Um, And of course, quite naturally, I suppose, I think 
the press really seized on that angle going into this match of Murray versus Valverdu in a way. And I think Murray accused the British press of stoking the fire and fanning the flames a little bit and creating the tension or certainly escalating it, even if it was probably already there. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, which which thereby sort of completely justifies them doing it, doesn't oh, it? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, the match starts. Burdick's playing really well. He is serving for the first set. But Murray breaks back and gives a really strong come on, raw, you know, really emotional. And then the camera swivels to his player box and picks out Kim Sears. Now, I don't think it, I don't think it was ever a hundred percent conclusive with what she'd actually said, but it was definitely take that you and then lots of words beginning with F directed at Thomas Burdick, um, and an, another mention for Anki Othavong. She was one of the many who immediately took to Twitter and called it hilarious, and Burdick then ended up winning this set. It went to a tie break. Murray squandered some set points. And then there was a bit of argy-bargy between the players at the at the changeover. Murray accused Burdick of, of saying something to him. And Thomas Burdick just said, no, all I said was well played Thomas out loud. Pascal Maria was in the chair. He had to slightly diffuse the situation. But that was kind of the, the high point of the aggro, that, that first set. After that, it actually calmed down and Murray ended up winning the match in four sets play, played brilliantly um, and then he was asked about the tension in his on-court interview but I think anyone who was watching that match anyone who was there in the stadium could feel additional tension around this match and Jim Courier asked Murray about it and Murray said yes there's extra tension it's a big match a lot was made of Danny my ex-coach working with Thomas We've been friends for 15 years and I felt like it was a little bit unfair and unnecessary. It created too much tension, especially at the beginning, but then everyone calmed down after the match. And that was a theme that Murray very much carried on in his post-match press conference, said similar things. What's he saying is unfair and unnecessary? The British press... Uh, D- David's stoking of the fires. Yeah. David Law. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I was commentating on, on the match and I can guarantee you I was <laughs> hyping it up for all it was worth. And, and look, the moment that Burdick decided to get involved with that, because he was playing beautifully, he was playing great tennis and he was a match for Murray. And the moment that he decided to go nose to nose with Murray and, and create some aggro, quite honestly... I'm pretty sure if we played it back, we were saying, you're going to lose. Because now you're playing, now you're in Murray's mm. perfect environment. This is where he he improves. He, he will get better as a result of this. So actually, he did Murray a favour. Yeah. He just didn't realise it. I think it. so. Yeah. yeah. Um, incidentally, that was also the post-match interview where Murray really spoke out in defense of Amelie Moresma. That was the one where he said, we've shown this week that women can be good coaches as well. And Madison Keyes is in the semi-final. She's also coached by a woman in Lindsay Davenport. And I hope this is a trend that continues. It was a, it was a real 
statement that he made. Um, mm. And I think that was part of Murray's frustration as well. I think he wanted the focus to be on how well he was doing with Moresmo rather than his old coach being part of Burdick's team now. But then the absolute best thing of all about this whole incident <laughs> is what Kim wears to the final against Djokovic a few days later where she sort of makes her way into the player box. She's picked out by the camera again and she is wearing the now iconic jumper that says parental advisory explicit content. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe she'd spotted Sport. while she, she'd, she'd been walking the night before yeah. and seen that and just decided to buy it. <laughs> as a joke didn't she and to, to just sort of shove it up everybody um and the thing is i i was there for bbc radio and i was my job for the day was to go down into the player area for when they came out of the locker room and describe their walk to the court and whilst there i remember team murray walking past me of which kim was one of them and so I was the first person to see her before she was seen in this in this top. And I didn't see the top, <laughs> which is a terrible shame because I could have broken the bloody story. But instead, I'd got all of Team Murray giving me sort of knowing looks and smiles as if to say, have you seen what she's wearing? <laughs> Isn't it funny? I hadn't clocked it. I had no idea why they were all smiling at me. Not whatsoever. And then I saw this on the TV and I realised I've just missed a great scoop. <laughs> Unlike you, David. <laughs> well, I mean, probably the angle I was looking at. And, uh, and ever since then, have you have you just been overanalyzing the tops that everyone's wearing just in case you're you're missing some kind of really newsworthy gag? <laughs> Can't say I have, no. Um, but But I do regret on this occasion... It was it was that picture of of Kim in in that top was front page of a lot of the papers the next day. I can't remember which ones exactly, but it was yeah, it was front page in the UK. As was the lip reading of what she'd said in the semi final. Uh, that was that was all over the uh, the papers as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, it's all it's all crowned by the fact that she just owned it. Yeah, yeah. that's that makes it so much better. Yeah. yeah, own the aggro. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. 
Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Look, well, David's about to spontaneously combust. <laughs> Yes. So we'd better let we'd better let him have a go. I've already barged in on Matt's and Catherine's go, so uh, here we are. Um, David, yeah. Well, over I'm, to you. In at number seven is Andy Roddick and Novak Djokovic in two thousand and eight. Did I? Sorry, did I say uh, seven to you before Matt? When I meant eight. I think I've got my counting. I think I failed on the counting. But anyway, David, sorry. I don't remember seven. What you're doing so. Um, so Andy Roddick against Novak Djokovic in 2008. It's the US Open quarterfinals. Djokovic is 21 years of age. He's recently won the Australian Open, his first Grand Slam title. And he's up against Roddick in the final eight for the right to meet Roger Federer in the semifinals. Djokovic had just beaten Tommy Robredo in five sets in the previous rounds and afterwards Robredo had complained about Djokovic calling for the trainer so often. Um, Roddick then came into his press conference after his win and the following exchange took place. He was asked regarding Novak's injuries today that he's been talking about, the right ankle as opposed to the left ankle, and Roddick interrupted and said, isn't it both of them? And a back and a hip. He's asked, and when he said there are too many to count, Andy Roddick, and a cramp, bird flu. He's got a pretty long list of injured illnesses. Uh, Sorry, Irani-esque. <laughs> Roddick says, anthrax, SARS, common cough and cold. <laughs> So do you think he's bluffing? No, I mean, look, if it's there, it's there. There's just a lot. You know, he's either quick to call a trainer or he's the most courageous guy of all time. I think it's up for you guys to decide. So that exchange happens in the Roddick Press conference before Novak Djokovic and he are about to take to the court. They come out for their quarterfinal. Um, it's, it's a brilliant match. Roddick is two sets to love down. Djokovic plays the most majestic first two sets to, to win them, 6-2, 6-3. Roddick hits back, wins the third 6-3, and serves to take it into a fifth. And frankly, chokes. He hits two double faults from 30 love up, loses his serve, uh, Roddick, uh, having served brilliantly all day, goes into a tie break. Djokovic wins the tie break. Afterwards, and bear in mind that this was the final match that the USA Network in the United States would cover of the US Open after more than 20 years of having the rights. They're about to lose the rights to ESPN. This was their final match of coverage. 
and onto the court comes their reporter, Michael Barkin, and speaks to Novak Djokovic. This is what it sounded like. Novak, great match. You're back to your second straight U.S. Open semi-final. Way to be. What's your thoughts tonight? Uh, thanks for the my box and all the fans who were supporting me tonight. I know they were not more than Roddick, but uh, I'm, I'm really happy, you know, playing against uh, Roddick and his court and his ambient. And this is like his city, his favorite tournament. So to win against him is a huge effort. I, I'm sure it was. The first two sets... You came out smoking, and then what happened in the third set there? I thought it might just be three. Well, obviously, you know, Andy was saying that I have 16 injuries uh, on the last match, so obviously I don't, right? Didn't look like it. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah right. uh, here's I like, the thing. It or not, like it or not, I mean, it's like that, so... You know, you, you get, this crowd loves you. You can turn them against you real fast, you know. Well, I know they're already against me because they think I'm faking everything, so sorry. Well, no, no one said that. The only one who said that, the only one who intimated that was Andy. And Andy, Andy said he was kind of joking around about it. Did that fuel your fire? That's not, uh, that's not nice anyhow to say, you know, in front of this crowd that I have 16 injuries and I'm faking. You know, I, I have nothing against anybody. It's just that the momentum is not nice. And did that, was that the reason you came out the way you did? You started out so strongly tonight. Were you thinking about that? No, I wasn't thinking about it. You know, I was just trying to uh, get involved in the match and just trying to work on my returns and everything was going well. And now Roger Federer next. You're two and six against him, but you beat him in the semifinals of the Australian. Showed you could do it. Your thoughts on that semifinal matchup, Novak? Well, he's absolute favorite, you know, in that match. Of course, I lost to him last year, so... He's a great player, you know, now ex-number one, but he, it's for him it's a big challenge to go back to the number one spot of the world, so it's going to be a nice match. All right, Novak, thanks a lot. Hey, how about a little applause? Uh, <laughs> That's okay. I tried. I tried. Ted, John, it's been a pleasure. You too, Michael, and that is a weird way to go out, Teddy, I think, after all these years, that- and a bit of a shame. Um, yeah, so not a shame, not a shame at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, of all people, John McEnroe looking down on the aggro. <laughs> that that is so much worse than I remember it. Yeah, it was extreme at the time, and it was really uncomfortable as well. I mean, you know, it's it watching it I, again. I I think I was commentating on the match, and it's just. You're like, oh my word, what are you saying that for? <laughs> this lot are just going for him. As I remember it, and this could be wrong, but it, it, it's kind of backed up by some of the questions there from the, the interviewer. The, the crowd weren't that anti-Djokovic throughout the match. I mean, obviously they were pro-Roddick, but it's not like some of the the anti-Djokovic crowds that we've seen sort of latterly that Djokovic does kind of rightly get annoyed about. It. No. I don't remember it feeling like like that. I always thought the US Open crowd in that portion of his career really liked Djokovic. Mm. It was the year yeah. before he'd done all those impressions and well, kind this, of embraced him. This was revisited in the aftermath of this incident. And I, I mean, I think you're right. They were very pro-Roddick, but he was worked up about what Roddick had said. That was the, that was the, the point. And he came out, even in his pre-match interview, which which I watched... He he was already, you could tell, bristling about what he'd been accused of, and and he was. Re- I mean, the way he took Jock Roddick out in those first two sets 
he was playing angry tennis he was playing he was absolutely fantastic tennis um and he fought off the comeback but afterwards um Roddick came into the press conference and he he was asked about it and he says look you've clearly ticked him off with things you've said about SARS and bird flu and all that sort of thing and he's just spoken about it on the court what what's your reaction and and Roddick said look I think you guys knew it was completely meant in jest um he said I figure if you're gonna joke and imitate other people and do the whole deal then you should be able to take it yourself Listen, if someone makes fun of me, I'm going to laugh about it. Um, and, and he felt that Djokovic should have been able to take it, given a year ago he'd been impersonating all the other players, including Roddick. And, yeah, I mean, and Djokovic had taken a bit of a, a bit of stick about, about those impersonations from other players. Roddick says, I'm sorry you took it that way. There's nothing else to say. I didn't think it was over the line. It wasn't my intention. And I'm sorry if you felt that way. Maybe I did him a favor tonight. If someone wants to focus in on that and use it, meaning Djokovic, then by all means. But especially in Novak's case, if you're going to dish out all that stuff, then, then be able to take it with a smile. It's the only part that I don't quite agree with. Um, he was then asked, have you had an opportunity to talk to him uh, since the match? He says... Anything that's going to be said between Novak and I is going to stay between Novak and I because I'm not going to air out our private conversations in front of you guys. Djokovic then comes into the press conference and, and is asked all about it. And he's he's quite emotional by this point, quite upset, I think, and quite, I think, a little bit overwhelmed about the fuss that he's kind of created. And, the, and I, I think he was a little taken aback by the degree to which the fans got on his back because a year earlier... They'd all been really loving him for his impersonations. He'd actually done them out on court. John McEnroe had been out there and he'd been playing a rally with him and it had been all fun and games. Um, and he, he sort of apologises for if he overreacted, etc. There's been a lot of emotions uh, the last couple of days with, the, with my medical timeouts and all that sort of thing. Um, and he actually points out in his press conference that a year earlier he'd done these impersonations and realised that he's that he better not do them anymore because he'd obviously annoyed some of the players. And that, that was a very clear moment of Novak Djokovic changing his entire public persona in front of us, the media, and I think in front of the world generally. He stopped being playful like that and he became quite guarded and quite quite suspicious i think of of things and and i think he 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 didn't understand why everybody was getting on his back about him calling the trainer he felt if i've got an injury i should be able to get it treated that's all i'm doing he was asked afterwards have you spoken to andy in the locker room yes but this is just between us he says fast forward five years andy roddick has retired he's on the TV channel in the United States, Fox Sports Live, in 2013. And they're discussing backroom aggro, back sort of locker room aggro. And he said in this show, I got into an in-the-locker-room after-a-match confrontation with a tennis player one time. I won't say his name. I'll just say it rhymes with Shmovak Shmokovic. And we got into it at the US Open one time. I was kind of talking trash and he came out and beat the pants off me as he would, but then kind of chirped afterward and he came straight in and I went right up to him in the locker room and had him up against the locker. 
Then I realized his trainer was a little bit bigger than an NFL quarterback. Uh, and I kind of checked myself. My trainer is about five foot eight and 130 pounds and can dodge raindrops. I kind of backed off real quick. I was about to get railroaded from the side. Roddick, that, this then blew up into headlines about the fact that he basically had a fight with Novak Djokovic in the locker room after this match um, five years earlier. And Roddick tweeted, There is no feud. Normal athlete emotional stuff that is instantly regrettable. Ha ha ha. Joker Noel and I have been okay for a long time. I think it's Joker No Lay. Yeah, oh yeah. Joker No Lay. Sorry, Sorry you're we right. We don't want to get... Well, yeah. Yes, I, 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 I mean, we're already that. going to get abuse just for covering this, aren't we? But let's not, no, it's let's not add to it. But, but I, actually, I actually find it quite an interesting period of, of seeing how Djokovic was trying to work out who he, who he was on the landscape of professional tennis. He, you know, he'd been doing these impersonations. He, they went down well. They were funny. They went down well with us anyway, but they annoyed certain players in the locker room. And... And it scared him off doing them. If Andy Roddick's saying that that sort of thing is normal and happens all the time, I want to hear about <laughs> some of the other times that <laughs> happening. Well, I've certainly heard other players, certainly from the past, when, you, when we were on the Champions Tour, Catherine, players would talk about the fact that we would just have it out in the locker room. I think there were quite a mm. lot of locker room punch-ups. And if, if you, you think actual punch-ups? I've, well, I've seen one or two, you know. Just people what? going sort of nose to nose and, you know, yeah. If um, you can't say names, can you say what they rhyme with? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. No, I mean, no, I can't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, you know, I, I mean, when you talk give, to... Give it, can, we, can we play like a guessing game? If we guess it, are we allowed to know? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> when I talk, when I th- when you talk to people like Pat Cash though and, uh, and those Ooh. guys, they will tell you and he wasn't involved. Uh, they will tell <laughs> you that stuff would happen in the locker room, you know, and they'd put it behind them pretty quickly after that. Um but I did I did enjoy covering that. And I I just find it fascinating for the evolution of Novak Djokovic is it from a young man trying to become a champion and find out where he fits in mm. in that group feels like a big moment in his career yeah. in terms of how it changed his certainly his public persona personally my favorite Djokovic was always the one that embraced being the guy breaking up the Federer and Nadal dominance. the party pooper yeah I, I thought that was his role and he had an ability to play that role brilliantly and I always mm. go back to what Janko Tipzarovic said in that interview you did with him last year, David, that Djokovic does want to be loved. And him getting booed on the Arthur Ashe Stadium probably really rocked him and yeah. probably, probably well, listen, did listen to change him. He said, once you win a Grand Slam title, um, you get more attention from everybody. It's logical. I don't want to make impersonations anymore. That's not, that's not what I want to do. People get it wrong People got it wrong when I did it. They got they got the wrong end of the stick, is what he's saying. Uh, and and I was in situations I didn't want to be in, fighting with people, with the press. This is absolutely not me, and that's one of the reasons why I stopped doing it. Um, and and you can tell that he's trying to work out. Well, what should I be? And and I I think he ended up thinking too hard because I agree with you. I mean, look, first of all, those first two sets against Roddick, when he's playing angry tennis. 
he was unstoppable. And we've seen that against Federer when he's been having the whole crowd against him and he's managed to win. Those are the parts that I admire the most. Mm. God, that that is great aggro. There's, mm. yeah. there's because some aggro's great because it's spontaneous. But there's also good aggro when there's plot lines and yeah. storylines and just, you can track it throughout history. For the on-court interviewer as well, Michael Barkin, who just was fantastic. Mm. He, he read that and mm-hmm. just stoked it up a little bit, but had mm. the most brilliant delivery, proper reporter. You know, he really, really, I loved his interviews. Yeah, where is he now? Well, sadly, when they lost the rights, he stopped doing Mm. that um bring him back and uh yeah well i, I want to track him down mary carillo yeah. so. 2021 can and be Ted the year Robinson. of michael barkin yeah, yeah. They, they're both colleagues of his and uh, uh i think he's i'm brilliant. hoping numbers one through six are decent because i'm we might have peaked. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking number seven should have been a bit higher that was that was top notch david good well six you want um, to hear six full disclosure <laughs> on number six is that it was actually supposed to be something different. I won't tell you what, because it's going to be in the next pod. Um, but David got overexcited on this entry and prepped completely the wrong one because he was just was just beside himself. He, he found the clip, he sent it to me, he showed it to his kids. Um, so, so we've done a bit of a, a jumble and this is what's come out at number six. It's John Mackett, everybody. And he's up against Anders Jared in the Stockholm Open in November 1984. McEnroe was having the year of his life. He'd won Wimbledon, the US Open. He'd only lost one match since that loss that we covered on Tennis Relived against Ivan Lendl in the final of the French Open. So you're talking a good five months undefeated, uh, apart from apart from one match in, in Cincinnati, I think against Vijay Amritaraj. He'd won 12 titles. He was on a 17-match winning streak. But he was pretty much running on empty by the time he came up against Anders Jared. And he lost the first set 6-1. And then this happened. It's five. Right on the line. No mistakes so far in this match, right? You haven't overruled anything. No mistakes whatsoever. Second set, please. Answer my question! The question, jerk! McEnroe somehow went on to win that match. Um, but, it, but I mean, it was, I think 
whenever anybody thinks about McEnroe, they think of you cannot be serious. And, and I was watching that back as well. But when I showed my kids did come in and, and wanted to just see what I was messing around with on the computer. And when I played it for my nine year old son, he started off thinking it was funny. And then the moment McEnroe goes, answer the question like this, my son was scared, really scared. And uh, this is the effect I think he he did have on people within a stadium. They would make that you would feel uncomfortable, and and now it's really f- quite funny because we know all the s- story and the backdrop and everything else that goes with it. But it did make you feel uncomfortable at the time. He went on and he won that match. He won the find against um, Mats Valander, um, but he ended up being suspended for twenty one days as a result of that outburst because what. Whilst the audio is fantastic, what you don't see is him going back to his chair, smashing an ice bucket off the table with his racket twice. Once that draws those cries from the crowd, and then another one as a direct reaction to them, as if to say, what, you think that was good? Have some of this. Um, So he gets banned for 21 days, misses a tournament, still comes back for the Davis Cup. And he says in his autobiography that he was fined... $700 and he was trying to work out what he would actually have to do to get banned properly because he 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 said I was at the point where I was basically pushing them to find out and they wouldn't ban me and and he said um the answer is simple it's just not so pure they had to put a show on and my presence put behinds in the seats it happened at tournament after tournament I would freak out. The umpire would hit me with a warning, a point penalty, maybe a measly fine or two in a year when I was earning a couple of million dollars. $700 was pocket change. And then life would go on. If I went home, they lost money. The tournament directors knew it. The umpires knew it. The linesmen knew it. I knew it. The system let me get away with more and more. And even though to some it looked as if I was glorying in my bad behaviour, I really liked it less and less. Well, tournaments must really depend on Sam Query for income, then. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam Query, that's the other bit of news, isn't it? He's just had a $20,000 fine suspended um, for six months for good behaviour um, for yep. his... Uh, what Becoming an we... international COVID fugitive. Yes, yep. that, that's, that's, that's probably the best way to put it. Mm. Um, but anyway, 20... It's, it's no ice bucket. <laughs> incident though is it no by the way amazing segue (laughs) (laughs) the the tennis majors website wrote up this incident from from the 80s with McEnroe and and they've got a quote here from the umpire of that match Leif Ake Nilsson who would admit 25 years later that he still didn't have the answer to McEnroe's question he wanted an answer to his question, but I couldn't find any. If I could have found an answer to his question, which I think was um, there have been no bad calls in this match, I should have done it. But even today, I don't know what to answer. I just didn't know what to say. That's why I said, second serve, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. Uh, Talk Mac- about sent into the firing line. McEnroe would later call his Stockholm tantrum his most embarrassing memory. Um and he says, but when asked if he remembered the umpire, his response was, I don't remember any particular chair umpire. They were all equally bad. <laughs> uh, so that was John McEnroe at his best and his worst. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, loads of people will say, "I can't believe you don't have you cannot be serious." I'm sure there's a you cannot be serious gag in there somewhere, if not many of them. Um, and you know, of course, that was a great moment of aggro. But this one we found funnier, didn't we? There was a childishness and a pantomiminess to this one that was just really epic and kind of yeah, it did feel like the zenith of John McEnroe. Agro. And the way he's putting his arms out wide to the referee is if to say, Are we done? Is that it? <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna disqualify me or not? You know, just challenging them. Amazing. And very very well captured by the slow mo of him knocking the ice off off the little table. Yes. If you want to look at the YouTube clip, wait till the end. Watch it through to the end because they do this really slow motion <laughs> of McEnroe's really quite elegant stroke. Yes, he puts a he puts another hand on the racket. Yeah. He never used two hands for anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a kind of golf swing. It's really a thing of beauty. He's put, he's put quite a lot of thought into that. So that is 10 to 6 on the countdown of tennis's greatest or most amusing aggro our favorite aggro over the years i know what you're thinking how good must numbers one through five be well tune in on monday to find out david you've got to wait four days can you handle it yeah maybe hopefully i'll get the right one in the right slot this time yes if you could do that that would be great are we doing it on monday i'm not sure we are why wouldn't we be doing it on monday I think we might be doing a season preview on Monday. Oh, correct. And uh, and tennis aggro two on Thursday. A week right. Today. Oh my goodness! You have to wait a week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we'll go and discuss that schedule. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the eleventh entry, folks. When we sort this out, um, you will get part two. I promise. Within the week. Can yes, I can I pledge sure. to that? Yes, within the week we'll get past part two of Tennis Agro. Um, and if you just you know want to call David and talk about Tennis Agro, he's available anytime. <laughs> I think he'll he'll cancel his his plans for you. Um, thank you once again. I know I keep saying it. Thank you for your support in our 2021 Kickstarter. Um, it's still open if you want to get yourself an intro or a shout out or just. Buy us a beer, support us, be part of the team for 2021. Um, We are overwhelmed, as I keep saying, by the support that we've received and so touched by so many of your messages as well. We're really hoping that 2021 brings good things. Um, But even if it doesn't, it will bring good podcasts. We promise you that. So happy new year from all of us. And we'll see you on the other side. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.